stoked. All right, well, let's get into God's Word today. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. Uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to take a, a kind of a mini, do a, a, a two-week kind of one-two punch on the church. And then the week after that, we're going to start a big, ambitious book of the Bible uh, that you'll hear about next week. Or if you read your email, you know what's coming already. Uh, shout out to the email. All right, Nehemiah, chapter 2. Have you guys ever had a project that you realize is going to take longer than you thought and is not going to get done anytime soon. Uh, recently, I needed to replace a lighting fixture in our kitchen, and so we got the new lighting fixture, and, and I had my day off, and I was ready to do it, and as I'm working on it, one of the little components that they gave got shredded, and I couldn't connect uh, the electrical wires together, uh, and, and it kind of popped out of the bottom, and I realized oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like take this whole lighting fixture back to Lowe's, return it, get a new one, come back here. And I began to get so angry. And I thought, like, why am I so angry about this? I realized something about myself. I hate any home improvement project that takes longer than one afternoon. I can do whatever for one afternoon, but if it takes longer than that, I'm out. Like, I, I'm, no, I'm just, like, it's, it's too difficult for me, right? Uh, and, and I think in many ways, that's common to all of us. Maybe you're the guy that loves big, ambitious, multi-day project renovations. I don't really know anybody that loves that, right? They want, it, they want to get it done immediately and be done with it and move on. And so when we come to uh, things that take a long time, we often ask, is this doing anything? And is this even worth it in the first place? That's what I was thinking while I was in the... Uh, return line at Lowe's, looking at my watch, thinking, I only have an hour to finish this before we have to go do something else. And in some ways, I think that's the question we're asking on the other side of COVID when it comes to building the church. Uh, we, we got used to being separated and pulled apart by different things, by just circumstances, by practical separation, by the, the cultural cross currents that have flamed up, kind of uh, flared up in our culture where we realize, man, you might be a little bit politically different than me, or you might be culturally different than me. You think about mass this way, or, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden we're getting pulled apart. And when it comes to building the church, we come and we build, and it doesn't seem Sunday after Sunday that we did anything. It's like we came, we gathered, we did, but, but did that do anything? Here's what I'm aiming to do today. I'm aiming to encourage us as a church. I think God aims to encourage us as a church that what we're doing, what we're giving our time to matters. And to challenge us that I think for many of us coming back from COVID, I think I've seen even on my own heart, my, my, my connection to people in the church is not quite as strong as it was pre-COVID in some cases. There's friends I haven't gotten together with. that I, It's going to take work to restart those relationships. So is it worth it? Well, I've been spending some time in a certain part of the Bible. I've been spending time in the post-exilic writings uh, of Israel, meaning this is the time period where they'd gone into captivity as judgment. The Lord allowed them back, and they sought to rebuild. And so I've spent time there thinking, Lord, how do you want us to rebuild on the other side of COVID? Um, I know COVID's not gone, but, uh, but on the other side of, of much of it, uh, how do you want us to rebuild? So we're going to read Nehemiah 2 and 3. And what you need to know is that Nehemiah was part of the court of the king, the Persian king, got authorization to come back and seek to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem and the city itself. So Nehemiah chapter 2, please let's stand for the reading of God's word today. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. 
This is God's word. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard it, they jeered at us and despised us, saying, What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Chapter 3, then Elisha the high priest rose up with, the bro- with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshalem, the son of Barakai, son of Mehezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. And so it continues. This is God's word. And Father, we pray. Lord, I really do pray, please help me in the limited time we have today, God, to to be able to communicate something of your heart for your people and for the work here, for the work of God in our generation. God, please help me. Please give us ears to hear and eyes to see in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take a seat. Well, imagine the scene here. Uh, The the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, have lived in a city of relative ruin since they returned from the Babylonian captivity, from Persia, right? They returned, and and maybe they'd they'd heard happy stories of their great-grandfather saying, oh, the family farm, and our house was here, and the fields were like this, and they arrive, and the fields are dead, and the house has been torn down. And the, the prospect of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, their capital, their, their unique city, the, the city that gives them their cultural and ethnic identity in many cases, it, it just seems too big, too overwhelming. And so day after day, week after week, year after year, they live, perhaps rebuilding their individual lives, but, but with the walls of the city of Jerusalem, the city itself lying in ruin. Maybe like me, they thought, would, would going over and rebuilding part of the section of the wall even do anything? It's going to take forever. It's going to be impossible for us to do. So Nehemiah returns. And Nehemiah, I love this dude. Side note, tons of leadership lessons for Nehemiah. If you're a leader at work or in context like that, read the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is fired up. He realizes God's people have not rebuilt the way that they were supposed to. And in fact, Nehemiah hasn't participated probably in the way that he should have. So he comes back, he's fired up. And and here's the main thing Nehemiah does. He calls the people to do what they already know they should do, right? He doesn't bring an army of builders from Persia, right? Where, you know, the, the, the Persian engineering corps, you know, the CBs of Persia don't show up and just put everybody out of the way, and and rebuild the walls. No, he essentially brings the authorization and some requisition orders from some wood, but all he has 
is what he does here. Let us rise up and build. That's what he calls the people too. And in fact, that's the call of the text. That's the call for us today. Let us rise up and build. Now, we're going to look at this in three brief sections. What are we building? Why are we building? And how do we build? And I want to encourage, again, I want to encourage us and challenge us that what we're giving ourselves to is the right thing. And that it should be a priority for every member of the people of God as we rebuild in this new season. So first, what are we called to build? Well, in, in Nehemiah's case, they're called to rebuild uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, but specifically the walls of Jerusalem. The, the walls were so important in the ancient world. The walls meant safety. The walls meant security. But the walls meant more than that. The walls meant this is a city, right? The, it, there, there was so much in the city of Jerusalem that was tied up with their ethnic and religious and cultural identity. To, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem meant to do something that, 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 that would be uh, essential to the reconstituting of God's people in this era. Graham Goldsworthy sums up the kingdom of God throughout Scripture this way, that the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's what they were seeking to rebuild with these walls. It wasn't just walls. They were rebuilding God's people in God's place, the promised land, under God's rule. And similarly for us, we're called to build the same thing. Today, the church is God's people in God's place under God's rule. No, we're, we're no longer an ethnic group. Instead, the way to become one of God's people is to believe in Jesus Christ and to find yourself, regardless of who you are, regardless of your nationality or heritage, to be welcomed in to the people of God through the blood of Jesus. And it means that God's place is no longer just a geographic place. It's Anywhere the people of God gather as the people of God under the rule of God, under the word of God. So what are we called to build? We're called to build. I mean, this is, this is elementary stuff, right? You're thinking, man, I came to church for this, that, that we're supposed to build the church. Great. Thank you. That is what we're called to do. First Peter chapter 2 says this. You come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable God to God through Jesus Christ. Look, what happens when the church of God gathers is that, that we are building, not with bricks, but with people, that the people in this room right now are living stones built together to be a spiritual house. And you might think, well, what's the deal with the spiritual house? Well, that, that meant the temple, right? The temple was where God's special presence was. And for many of the Israelites, they would see the temple of God far off because they're not a priest, they're not clean. But through Jesus, all of God's people are brought all the way in to the very presence of God through Jesus and now are being built up as the place where God dwells. Do you realize that when we gather as a church, God dwells among us in a, in a unique and powerful way that, that, that we don't experience when we're individually in our car reading our Bible? Just this morning, I, I heard somebody, I was talking to somebody, and they were saying that, that during worship they, and, and the message, they felt like God saying, you know, you need to, you need to, to talk about this with somebody, you know, maybe with one of the pastors. And so uh, 
They were like, I, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. It's too scary. Only if they come up to me will I talk to them. And so they just, they were over in the corner drinking coffee, and I happened to see them and happened to come up and say hi. So we chatted for a minute, and then tears came into their eyes, and they said, God told me I needed to talk to you about something, right? And you think, that's, that's, that's not magic. I mean, we're, we're not planning that. That's the presence of God among, moving among the people of God. That, that's what we are building. So let me encourage you, as, as we rebuild post-COVID, we build, we're rebuilding friendships, rebuilding lives, rebuilding hobbies, rebuilding school, rebuilding travel plans, hopefully. Let's build around this. Let's build this priority into our lives. That's what we're building, the people of God and the presence of God. All right, why? Why then are we called to build this? Why is this so important? Well, first, uh, quick reasons. First, to honor God. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, the, the honor of God's people and the honor of God were tied together because God had called his people by his name. So, so the honor of God's people and the, the honor of God himself were tied together. And so this call not to suffer derision isn't just like, hey, people are making fun of us. Let's not let them make fun of us. We'll build a city. It's not that. It's that we are the people of God. Let the name of our God not, not suffer derision among the, the nations. Right? To honor God. And today, similarly, we're called to build the church simply because it honors God. Often, at times in America, we, we think of the church primarily through an individual lens. Like, uh, I go to church because I need to learn something and somebody's there to explain the Bible to me, which is not bad. Or we go because I need to feel something. And, and we judge, did I feel something this Sunday? But I think we need to recapture a category that this honors God. Look, in, in, in uh, the middle of the pandemic, this room was absolutely empty. <laughs> and, you know, for the, especially the initial lockdown weeks, I was preaching to two people. I think John was probably one of them. And, and nobody else got no feedback, felt nothing. <laughs> and I remember at one point walking out to my car and just, just thinking, is this doing anything? I don't know, but I do know this. It honored God. So regardless of whether we feel, whether we, I mean, we love to feel things, we love to learn things, but we come because by our presence, it honors the Lord. Especially if you're a parent of, of young kids. We have a toddler. Sometimes you're just like, dude, I, I got pulled out of kids ministry twice because they were crying and, and this happened. And, and I, I was trying to talk to somebody else, but my kid kept interrupting me. And so you leave and you're distracted and then you go home and you just think, did that do anything? Yeah, it did. It honored the Lord. Be encouraged. Second, we build for the good of God's people, right? The, the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem were for the good of all of the people of Jerusalem. It wasn't as though, like, it'd be easy for people to say, well, my individual house is protected. No, but, but Jerusalem meant protection for the, the whole people of God, that if something bad happened, they could come into the city and find shelter and safety. They built for the good of one another. And similarly, we're, we're called to build for the good of one another, and, and in fact, 
when we do that, when we sing, when we amen, when we learn a bit of scripture and help somebody with that piece of scripture, when we show up to community group exhausted, but we're still there, when we do those things, we are not just there for ourselves, we're there for others. I love sitting on the front row because every once in a while I can pick somebody's voice out in in the congregation and I know, man, that guy's job is an absolute like train wreck right now, but he's singing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That person lost a family member, but they're singing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That person lost a, a spouse and they're singing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That person, uh, that, that, that woman's child's about to go into surgery in a few weeks and they're singing, bless the Lord, right? right when, and you may not feel it, but when you sing, it blesses me. It builds me up. We build one another up. It's for the good of God's people. And third, we build for the advancement of God's plan to save many. We're not just building for ourselves. We're building for the sake of all those around us. Remember that God's people from the beginning, that the promise to Abraham was that through him and his family, the whole world would be blessed. That Isaiah 49 speaks of, of God's people being a light to the Gentiles. And so one of the things that, that, that the people of God were rebuilding is they were rebuilding the people of God through which the promise of God would come, the Messiah would come, and through them the, that there would be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus picks this this image up in Matthew 5 when he says, You are the light of the world, church. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We're, We're meant to give the light of the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ to those around us. The the way that it would work in the ancient world is remember, it's pitch dark in the ancient world. Uh, There's no electric lights, there's no light pollution. And so if you were living outside of the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem was on a hill, and what you'd be able to do even at night is you'd be able to see a faint light on the horizon that was the city of Jerusalem, a witness, a light. That's that's what the church is meant to be, a light to those around us. And, And for the good of the people around us, we must be the church and build the church. Look, the, the Great Commission was given to the church. And what does it know? Jesus gathered each disciple individually and was kind of like, hey, you know, uh, J- Peter, you're going to go do this. And then he had a separate meeting with John, a separate meeting with, you know, he didn't do that. He gathered them. And how did they fulfill that commission? In Acts chapter 2, the, the disciples, uh, you know, the spirit falls and Peter stands up and preaches And instead of just being like, okay, great, now you guys go back to your individual lives after being saved. Now, what happens in Acts chapter 2? They're built into a church. What what, what am I trying to get at? The church is the vehicle for the advancement of the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and language. And I love innovative ways of getting the gospel to various places. I love the internet and online ministries. I love the, you know, various parachurch things that, that we love and support. But I know this, that the, 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 the task of advancing the gospel to every tribe, tongue, language, and people is given to the church. And over the last 2,000 years, how has the gospel gone from Jerusalem to Rome to England to Africa to North America, South America, Asia? How has it happened? Through the average, ordinary ministry of the local church. Did you know that Christianity is, is the only 
major world religion that keeps flexing and changing where its major population centers are across geographic and ethnic lines. Meaning that if you look at the, the spread of Christianity, it just keeps moving. It's, it's, it's just rapid and, and it's just flexing and changing across every kind of cultural, world, political, ethnic line possible. Why? And how has that happened? Through the ministry of the church. So that's what is at stake. Then, last question, how are we to build? If that's true, if we're called to build the church and we know why we're meant to build the church... How do we do it? I want to make three quick observations that are kind of bent toward our current cultural moment. The first is we build the church individually. We build it individually. Uh, the word, I used the word alone in the first service, and Alec was like, I don't think we mean alone. I think we mean individually. So thank you, Alec. It should be individually. Uh, disregard the, the screen. This is why we preach with side note as a team and help each other because none of us are, have everything together. First, individually. Now, imagine what it would be like to get fired up by Nehemiah's speech and to be like, yeah, we're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you go, and, and here's what day after day would look like for you. You have a bunch of bricks. You've got a bunch of mortar. You've got like a shovel. You're tearing down old sections of wall. You're putting a brick. You're stacking it. You're waiting. You're repairing. You're doing this. And it's just hot. It's the Middle East, right? It's El Paso in the summer. And, and, and the next closest person may be like way down the wall. And you've got no one to talk to. And it's just you and the sun and a pile of bricks. And you're thinking, is this really worth it? <laughs> is this doing anything? Like, hey, Phil, how's it going? Like, oh, great. I got two feet of wall done today. Right? You just go home. It's just doing anything. But what's crucial about, about this is you see this long list of names in Nehemiah chapter 3. It is only when each of them individually take up the work and, and give themselves to it that anything is accomplished that, of scale and size. Right? Every single piece, every single section of the wall mattered. It would not help if they repaired 90% of the wall and like the three families over here were just like, yeah, we're good, we're good, you know. Then you've got 90% of a wall is no wall because otherwise the invaders are like, well, this wall seems very strong, but there's a huge 100-foot section right there that we're going to go through, right? That's it's not going to help anybody. Think about it this way. Um, my, my son, Anson, who's a toddler, he loves this Lego excavator. It's this very, like, it's too complicated for him, but he has this excavator, and he loves it, and he wants it at all times. It needs to be near his crib when he sleeps. He loves this excavator. But what's happening is, is over a period of time, he's losing all the little tiny pieces of the excavator. So at first, it started out super cool, had tracks and everything, and a cool bucket that scoops, and slowly you lose a piece, and you're like, well, you can't find it, and, and it's gone. And then you lose another piece, lose another piece. And, and pretty soon, the, the, the claw that looks so cool before is like, you know, and it, it's like flopping around and keeps falling off and you keep reattaching it. And then at a certain point, you lose one piece. This is what happened last week. You lose one piece too many and it doesn't work at all. And I think sometimes the church is like that where we think, well, if I don't show up, if I don't participate, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to really hurt anybody. And then one more person makes that choice. And then one more person makes that choice. And pretty soon, the church looks like, you know, you're try it's trying to do its job, but it can't. And then pretty soon, it doesn't function at all. It's only when we each individually take up the, word of God, the work of God 
that we can advance for the purposes of God. Look, I love and I'm grateful for our church, the ministries of our church, but there should be a sense in which every member is all the ministries of Cross of Grace. Here's what I mean by that. Our hospitality ministry should not be the people with donuts. Our hospitality ministry is every member who sees somebody they don't know, right? Our mercy ministry is not, hey, we got three guys that meet and, you know, kind of help with bigger needs. No, our mercy ministry is you see somebody in your community group, you realize, man, they're an older senior saint. They can't turn on their swamp cooler. Can you do that? Maybe you do that, right? You think about men's ministry and women's ministry. Our best men's and women's ministry uh, uh, strategy is men and women meeting together over the Bible to help each other. Right? We can have all kinds of meetings and have banners and, like, flowers at all the tables, Yay! Real women's ministry is when you are at the end of your rope in marriage and meet with another godly wife and say, please help me. That's where it really happens. Right? That individually, us each saying, the sun's hot, the pile of bricks is there, let us rise up and build. Second, we build together. We build individually, but we also build together, right? The thing I love about this long list in Nehemiah 3 is that no one is building alone, and people who have a job that's too big for one person to do or one family to do, there's people building with them. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built, right? It it only, the good news is we build our own little section of the wall, but we build together with all the others. And that togetherness is also essential. Look, coming out of COVID, there's a sense in which we can all kind of go like, eh, I survived for a while without seeing any Christians. What's a couple weeks, right? Eh, you know, I, I made it. Nothing horrific happened when I wasn't going to church for a while. So why keep going? Why keep going to community group? I did okay without that. Look, I've seen a lot of people in the Christian church at large say that we should just be okay post-pandemic with Christians coming together physically in the same space less. It's kind of like, well, if you want to just sort of, I mean, I was listening to one video, and this is kind of an extreme, okay, but, but the person was like, you know, maybe church for some people is seeing an Instagram live post and and replying with a comment, and that for them is church. And I just thought, nope, like, that ain't it, man. I, I, I don't know how we got there, but I think I know how we got there. We made Christianity so individualized that people only think of the church through their individual lens and, and only think, am I getting what I want and feel like I need from the church versus, does this honor God? Does this help other people? Does this shine a light to the Gentiles? And to do that, we need one another. We cannot do it alone. I'm going to give you Spurgeon because he's going to, I like when I have to deliver bad news from the Bible if I can quote somebody. So then at the end, you guys are like, man, that Spurgeon's so mean. I'll be like, wow, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Spurgeon, pastor from over 100 years ago. I love to, I also, side note, love to know 100 years ago, they were still dealing with this, okay? This is not new, nothing new under the sun. This is Spurgeon addressing those who think, I can just build individually, but I don't have to build together. He says this, I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. I say, no, why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. And I say, are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient. 
That's a burn. Uh, he uses this illustration. Look, there's a brick. What is the brick made for? It's made to build a house. It is of no use for the brick to tell you that it's just as good a brick while it's kicking about on the ground by itself as it would be as part of a house. Actually, it's a good-for-nothing brick. <laughs> so, again, Spurgeon, okay? Some people are like, man, Spurgeon. So, I love this. So, you rolling stone Christians. But listen to this. I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. It's not that Spurgeon wants to be mean. It's he's saying you're meant to do something that requires being together. And here's what I'm praying and hoping. I'm praying on the other side of some of this COVID stuff that rather than it, it, COVID loosening our bonds to each other and commitment to each other, it actually strengthens our convictions that we are meant to do this together. That's my prayer. And here's my encouragement. You are not alone. You are not alone. Look around you. The people in this room are here because they have said, let us rise up and build. When you feel like your section of the wall is getting shaky, there is help. When you feel like you're, you're getting crushed, there is encouragement. There is practical help. There is love. When you're wandering, there can be challenge even from others. We, we, we together are together because we as a church have said, let us rise up and build. And every time we see one another, it should encourage our hearts that we are doing something that matters. All right, last thing, very briefly. I don't want to miss this. We are called to build individually. We're called to build together. But we're called to build by Christ and in Christ. Look at, look at the way that this is, is revealed in Nehemiah 2. It says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And then it says, when he's, these, remember these, these guys from the outside are, are mocking them. Nehemiah's reply is, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Look, we take up the work to arise and build not wondering if in the end it will be worth it. Not wondering if in the end anything will actually build, be built of it or through it. We take up the work knowing that God himself is in the work with us. In 1 Peter 2, right, the, the call to, you know, I'm, I'm calling us to be living stones. It actually, it actually says in, in that context that, that we're passive in the sense that it says we are being built as living stones. In other words, someone is doing the building with us. So we have a part, which is to rise up and build, but we rise up and build knowing, as we'll hear next week, that Jesus has promised to build his church. That we can say with Nehemiah that the reason we made it through the last two years of challenge and hardship and trial and eight Memorial services in two years 
and hurt and loss and, and, and cultural crosswinds. The reason that we have made it through is the same reason Nehemiah made it to Jerusalem, which is that the hand of our God has been upon us. And so our response then is with Nehemiah to say this with confidence. The God of heaven will make us prosper, therefore we will arise and build. What we're going to end with is communion because it's a reminder that Christ died to build this So I want want you to take the the communion cup. If you are a Christian, we welcome you taking communion with us. If you're not a Christian, we would just encourage you to observe and hear and see the story of the gospel told through a little cup sitting on the seat next to you. Communion was given by Christ. And oftentimes when we think of communion, we think individually. We we think, Jesus died for me. You know, for me, I'm I'm saying, uh, Jesus died for Ricky. And, And that's a beautiful truth. But today I want to draw your attention to another aspect of communion. The other aspect of communion is found in Mark 14, as we read earlier uh, in our series. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to, listen, and gave it to, doesn't say to Peter, and then to John, and you know, it says gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. When, When we take this. When we remember the body of Jesus broken for us, we remember the body of Jesus broken for us. Jesus died for you. That's true. But Jesus, I think the weight of scripture is actually more often on the emphasis that Jesus died for us. That Jesus died for a people. A people in his place under his rule. So let's take the, the, the bread. And Lord, we thank you that your body was broken for us. That your people were on your heart as you walked the road to the cross, including the people in this room. So we thank you, Lord, and we remember what you've done. You may take the bread. And now take the cup. And Jesus said, he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Brothers and sisters, we are included here today among the many. And Lord, we thank you for your blood shed for us, for us, your people. Help us to stand in awe of what you've done. Please take the cup. And now please stand and sing as we close. And let me pray for us as, as the, the band is coming up. Lord, Lord, I do pray. I pray for anyone that has come in today asking the question, is this doing anything? <laughs> Is this coming to church? Is this going to group? Is this checking kids in? Is this serving donuts? Is this sending a text to follow up with a friend? Is this doing anything? When I pray that you would encourage us, you'd breathe strength into us, that what we're doing matters and matters eternally. 
that you've called us to be your people and your place under your rule. Lord, you've called us to each take up the word work individually. So I pray that this week we would do that. We would take up the ministry of encouragement to those around us discouraged, the ministry of mercy to those in need of mercy, the ministry of evangelism to those around us who don't know Christ. And I pray that we would do this together. Lord, that this would strengthen our commitment that we are in this together. And last, that we would find ourselves encouraged that this work will not be in vain because it's backed by your promise to build your church and that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The love of